at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them. So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. My name is not Aaron, it's in fact Robert. I'm one of the editors at SifPop.com and today I'm joined by two of my fellow writers, Mike. Hello. And Nash. Howdy, howdy. We are here today to talk about some of the biggest movie releases of October 2023. We'll be talking about The Exorcist Believer, Fair Play, Five Nights at Freddy's, Killers of the Flower Moon, Pain Hustlers, Totally Killer, and a couple of wild cards at the end. Um, time codes are in the episode description if you only want to hear us talk about certain movies and we won't be discussing spoilers so you're safe there though I have said that a couple times in the past and then we did discuss spoilers so I suppose be wary Um, lastly we'll be rating each of these movies on the classic sif pop scale of like it love it just like it hate it or it was just okay so yeah with that let's get into it Uh, Mike I'm putting you on the spot here at the very beginning, because we mentioned a while ago that you might be seeing the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie? I did. Ash, did you see that movie? I didn't. Okay. I didn't see it either, and it's not officially on our list. But because of how big it was, I did want to give it a quick little opening spotlight and chance for discussion. So, Mike, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to communicate about uh, our Lord and Savior Taylor Swift and her concert movie? So if I'm giving it the Sif Pop scale, I'm going to say that I liked it. And the production values were outstanding. There were a couple times that my daughter, when I took her to go see it, she was a little bored. Mm. And I can't blame her for a solid three-hour movie. It just can't keep her entertained for that long, considering that she was she's only six and a half. So sure. our theater wasn't one of those theaters that had kids standing up and singing thank god because i don't think i would have been able to handle that but i enjoyed it enough that's all i have to say about it i apologize to the listeners that we don't have a lot to say uh i was very wary of that experience Mm -hmm. that you thankfully avoided um so that's why (laughs) i didn't go to see that movie in theaters even though i you know okay on taylor swift and my overall thoughts this is not the place for those at the moment um and there's another movie that we'll talk about later that I managed to watch at home because I didn't want to experience some crowds that people were talking about. So that's why uh, we haven't, <laughs> why I haven't seen the Taylor Swift movie, at least. Let's get into the first, oh, do you have something else to say? No, just, you know, it's it's just funny because theater experience for some of these movies definitely mattered. And mm-hmm. this was one where I'm just thankful that there wasn't a lot of there wasn't like a ton of people like getting up and singing and dancing in this. Cause I've seen TikToks of, of sure. theaters doing that. And I'm just very thankful that mine wasn't, but I don't know. It just, I'm just glad that I paid the $16 for a ticket as opposed to my mortgage payment to go see her uh-huh. live. So right. I'm, I'm ecstatic about that. <laughs> Nash, did you not see this thing about how expensive all those tickets were? I didn't. I must have missed that. Miss missed that um, a little bit. My goodness. Yeah, tickets to the actual concerts were insanely expensive on the secondhand market. Oh Lord, um, it's I'm I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the young contrarian buck. I actually um, that's 
the reason why I ended up wanting, I actually want to go see it more now because hmm. of the experience of potentially seeing it. I was like, I think I was watching a review and he was like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like you go and it's like a concert experience for people who couldn't go to the concert. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it kind of made me want to go. Um, I don't, I haven't gone yet, but I might. It's You it's could def- if you wanted to. It's definitely a cool experience. You know, if, because depending on the size screen that you're at and depending on the crowd, it could just be a lot of fun as well. So even if you don't know Taylor Swift songs, just her perform stage performance and her stage presence yeah. alone is is enough. So I'll give her a lot of credit for that. Plus, I find it fascinating the whole the whole dynamic that she had with the theaters where she pretty much cut the studios out. Mm-hmm. So I was I was okay with supporting Taylor Swift in that. Yeah, snaps. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Let's move on to uh, the first movie that more than one of us have seen, and that's The Exorcist Believer. When two girls disappear into the woods and return three days later with no memory of what happened to them, the father of one girl seeks out Chris McNeil, who's been forever altered by what happened to her daughter 50 years ago. Oh, man. Uh, Nash, you missed this one, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, there was I, there was really no world where I was ever going to watch this right. movie. So go ahead, boys. Have you seen the original? I have seen the original. Like I, like, I will be on record saying that, like, I'm not a horror movie guy, but I will watch prestige horror. Mm-hmm. And I really like the original. I think the original is great. But then, A, the trailer looked kind of bad. B, all I heard was it was absolute dog doo-doo. And so I was like, I don't want to watch this. So I just didn't. So... And then you messaged me six days ago. So I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I told you, you don't have to see all of them if you can't make it. And uh, I, I guess I gave you a good out. And I think it was worth it because I didn't like this movie. Uh, it wasn't very good. Mike, what did you think? I didn't like it either. I'm probably on the low side of didn't like it. There was some, maybe one or two parts that I found interesting, but nothing really compelling here. I really like the original Exorcist. I even saw it in theaters when it came out in the early 2000s, but yeah, there's just not a whole lot here. As in like a re-release? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was oh, a okay. re-release okay. with Yeah, it was a <laughs> I was like, did, are you thinking of the wrong original Exorcist? <laughs> no, I tra- I traveled back in time. No, uh, in the in the early 2000s there was a re-release with uh more footage uh just and it was remastered a little bit mm-hmm. as well. So it was a good experience to see it with a lot of people in the theater too. Yeah, I only ever saw the original a couple of days before I saw the new one. And that's the only other Exorcist movie I've ever seen. I know that there are more, but I'm kind of like Nash where I don't really go out of my way to watch much horror. Um, my first note that I wrote down for this is just the first, the original is about a lot of good, interesting things. And this one isn't. It really doesn't have a lot on its mind. It doesn't even really have scares on its mind. I there there I had a decent crowd for my theater. My theater is almost uh, always empty, but this one I had maybe a dozen people, which is a decent crowd, like I said, for my local theater. And there was one jump scare that got basically everyone. Uh, but besides that, there was a lot of talking and restlessness and uh, overall feeling of boredom. Yep, there was a lot of brooding. There was a lot of you know, just pensive talking about what it means to be evil. And I guess overall, the the underlying thing that I really just didn't like about this is that I think the 
best part about the original Exorcist is the journey that uh, Father, the one of the priests goes through, not Marin, the other guy, uh, Father Karras, I think his name is. And just how... The not Max von Sydow one. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. his struggle with his faith kind of just elevated the movie even more, especially when he agreed to do the original, the, the exorcism on Reagan. In this one, it's a different dynamic because you have a father who has kind of lost his faith because of an incident that happened with with the birth of his child and everything like that and it's just right it's just not the same and following the the families of of the girls who end up possessed it's different because you don't get as much discussion about you know the elements of faith and and the gravity of it versus what we got which was just parents just shouting at each other and it just it was a mess and then the the final exorcism at the end just didn't really do it for me at all. There and was it just maybe, goes on and on and on. Like I, I get the choice that they made with, I, I guess I do appreciate that a little bit, how, hey, there's other faiths out there besides Catholicism that sure, can, yeah. can save us. But it was just so completely underbaked that it just didn't matter because some of the people in there, I'm like, I, I don't know any of you. I don't know what you believe kind of explain it a little bit but i don't really understand it and i also don't understand how you're gonna help i think the only thing right. that i do give this movie a little bit of credit for is the the end i thought it was a bit of a bold choice with how the exorcism ended but mm -hmm. not it doesn't make it interesting it doesn't make it better and i don't understand how they're gonna make a trilogy out of this i don't get that. yeah i think i think that is probably a whole other conversation because i agree with you i don't know where else it's gonna go and what their whole plan is um but i agree with you exorcisms are at least established because this is supposed to be a direct sequel to the original as like a catholic thing and this is you know no commentary on real life religions or anything like mm -hmm. that just based on what the movie set up yeah and exactly this one is just like oh we got all these other people and i like that idea in theory of bringing a community together um around something horrible but the way that it executes it is just like, oh, we got all these extra characters who we hardly know. And on top of that, we're bringing back in Ellen Burstyn, who, of course, just like every other legacy sequel, she has problems with her daughter. Uh, and we got to figure that out because no one's allowed to be happy between the, the legacy sequel and the original. Um and then she's sidelined for a certain reason for most of the movie. So it's just like, why is she here in the first place? Just make like this could have been a little bit more interesting if it was just a its own sort of exorcist movie and not exorcist as in the franchise, but like a, a movie about an exorcism there. You know, an exorcism has or the exorcist hasn't cornered the market on those types of movies. So like you can make other franchises or other movies. So it could have been that and been, I think, much better. Um I think it just does a disservice to all of the characters by bringing so many in there, the legacy ones and the new ones, even though I do think Leslie Odom Jr., who's the lead of this movie, is very good. Um, his arc is kind of finished with 45 minutes to go once he decides to do the exorcism. And then there's more stuff brought up later. And it's just like, you're so convoluted and all over the place. And I don't know what you're trying to say. Well, I do know what you're trying to say, but it's just not working um the scares aren't scary it's just 
like you said, a big mess. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. I've seen all the Exorcist sequels, and surprisingly, this is pretty low down mm. on the list. And it's it's sad because most of the Exorcist sequels are not good. I think the only okay one is the third Exorcist movie, and that really doesn't have a lot to do with exorcism at all. So I don't I don't understand how you could fumble the bag on this so much. And it's it's surprising also that um the producing company the blumhouse blumhouse yeah i'm a little surprised that they they attached their name to this and this is the result that came out from it yeah i was just reading someone's review for the site where they were saying that blumhouse is kind of going downhill a bit and i think they did five nights and freddy's or, or something they else I, they, yeah they so do five, five nights at freddy's not to spoil our conversation on that but they're not they don't have a great track record especially this month uh lately especially for a movie that you know was doing get out uh six years ago so mm -hmm. the last thing i'll say about exorcist believer is that like the first 45 minutes i was into it it felt like prisoners uh the Denis Villeneuve movie because the girls were missing and they had to find them and that was kind of intriguing to me and i thought it was doing that well uh, but then once they're found, it turns into everything that I was saying a minute ago, where it's just confused and it's got way too much else going on. Uh, yeah, it just feels too distracted. It's not even, I don't think it's even like bad enough to call it cynical the way that maybe something like The Rise of Skywalker is just like too big of a mess to be anything. Yeah, let's move on to fair play. An unexpected promotion at a cutthroat hedge fund pushes a young couple's relationship to the brink threatening to unravel far more than their recent engagement. Nash, what did you think of this? Oh, man. Um, this is The order <laughs> of these stresses me out because this is the one I probably have the most complicated feelings on. Um, Let's get into it. I think I'll just, I guess, fall in. It's just okay. Um, if you, I don't know if you want to give your, your rating first or if you just want me to word vomit right now, but. Let's let's me and Mike give our rating real quick and then we'll let you vomit like a horror movie. Uh, I'm also in just okay, probably on the high side because I really did have a lot of fun with it. I'm going to go with low side of liked it, actually. And it's it's really the performances that put me over the yeah. edge. All right, Nash, let's hear it after you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think I want to I want to throw it out right right now that like Alden. Aaron Reich, I think that's yeah. how you say his last name, uh, is yeah. incredible. Um, and I have never really um, forgiven Star Wars or Han Solo for seemingly tanking his career for yeah. a hot minute there, uh, yeah. which I, you know, I don't know if that's, I'm kind of being facetious, but also he's a really good actor and he's been in several, a few movies this year in which he has done different things and he is um, incredibly dynamic and I really liked hmm, I really liked about two thirds of this film and I really liked it because it felt like a movie from the 1990s that might that might star Michael Douglas or Sharon Stone right. like it felt <laughs> like there was some there was some it was glossy but it was also there was like a little bit of that little bit of grunge to it that I mm -hmm. that I really liked I, I I really appreciated the depiction of their relationship while especially early on I mean it's a little intense, but it also feels um, modern and 
kind of realistic in a way that you don't often see in these types of movies. Um, I also, I'm, I'm kind of getting out the things that I, the things that I did like, uh, sure. the, I, I was, I was, I was looking through a, a lot of people being like talking about how that certain decisions that are made, nobody's really likable. And I was bought into the fact that right now, like we, these two people are working for a hedge fund. They're hustling for a hedge fund. I don't think then they're necessarily supposed to be likable. Like it's a cutthroat industry. <laughs> it's yeah. a nasty, dirty industry where people are kind of trying to one up each other and punish each other. And so you have that dichotomy mixed with two people who are trying to engage in a relationship with each other kind of behind the scenes, which I was bought into that. Now, this one's really hard to talk about without giving certain things away, but there are just decisions that are made at the end of the movie that feel like it takes the wind out of the sails a little bit in terms of maybe what Chloe Domont, the writer-director, was kind of going for. And I can see it, I guess, because I thought a lot about this movie. Um, <laughs> it just feels messy and it I'm, I'm like i don't i don't necessarily need it to be like all tied up with a nice bow on it but i was like running on the treadmill treadmill with this movie then all of a sudden they jacked it up way too fast and then i got caught and i got spun off and i was like oh no what's going on and then i, I like it that. was it was just a lot um i'll let somebody else chime in real quick i because i'm saying a lot of thoughts right now because mm -hmm. i have it all like written down <laughs> if we need like I said, we could perhaps do a spoiler talk for this because you're right. This one does just like go places all of a sudden at the end. So you don't feel like you've fully gotten out your thoughts and made the points that you uh, wanted to. We could probably do a couple minutes at the end. Um, I'll fully agree with Alden Ehrenreich. I'll just start with like the more surface level thoughts uh, because Cocaine Bear, he's one of the only redeeming qualities um, and he's one of the standout cast members in a stacked cast in Oppenheimer, which are the other two movies that you referenced. The way that I put it was that when he makes some sort of wrong choice with the, you know, selling something when he shouldn't have, I don't understand, I don't understand hedge funds. So he does something that he shouldn't have and lost them a lot of money. Um, he makes this face that looks like my three-year-old nephew looks like when he does something wrong and he knows that it was wrong. Um, yeah. and I've never seen an actor so perfectly make that face. I just love his physicality in this, whether it's his body language or his facial expressions. Um, and I think this movie is kind of high camp and without him and Phoebe Dynavor, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but I think that's how you say it, or that's how I'm so. going to say it at least, um, yeah. without them fully, I never, whatever, without them fully buying into it and i don't think she's quite as good as he is without them fully buying into it this would just be you know something you throw on while you're having a couple drinks otherwise you probably could have fun with it while having a couple drinks but because of them i think it warrants a little bit more discussion as you're saying mash yeah i agree yeah i do agree that alden Ehrenreich is the standout in this i did surprisingly like phoebe Dinovores, uh, mm -hmm. Bridgerton girls. Uh, right. 
it's the only other thing that I've seen her in besides Bridgerton. And she's pretty insufferable in Bridgerton because most everybody in that show is pretty insufferable. But in this, <laughs> I don't there there was a couple moments in this where I really thought that she was holding her own pretty well. Towards the end, it gets very messy. There's, I think there's a couple scenes in particular at the end that just, when you're playing a game of let's try to one-up each other to see who can do the worst thing, and then it just crosses a line, and it just it just kind of lost me from, from that point forward. And not only that, it's just, this feels like this could have been a really interesting stage performance, because it's just these two people that were really looking at the whole time all the other people are just really ancillary and they don't really matter at the end of the day and i i it's very interesting that they kind of start this movie at the very like at the very beginning the choice that they make in terms of okay this is where we're start we're starting at a very specific point in their relationship and then and then all of a sudden it gets to talking about their work situation and you kind of feel a little bit of whiplash. Uh, at least I did at least a little bit in the beginning because you're ecstatic for what their, what their next step in the relationship is going to be. And then you get into this very cutthroat nature where you're, yeah, I don't know anything about hedge funds or the stock market either. So I don't yeah. know how cutthroat it is. Besides what you see in things like Wolf of Wall Street or for TV, if you watch the show Industry, right. yeah, you see that all these people, they're they're pretty greedy and they're pretty competitive. And that's what this, it, the competitiveness, at least it shows a lot in this because just seeing all Alden Wright's character, Luke, the descent that he goes in, uh, goes into because of what happens to him professionally, it's it's pretty tough and I'm glad that they just added that extra dynamic of, you know, them being, being a couple as well, because it would have been a fascinating story if it just would have been a, a conversation about, you know, what it means to have a, a woman get a promotion over a man. Like I thought those, di I thought what it was trying to say about that, it got a little lost in the shuffle and I wish they would have talked about that more, but and I guess beggars can't be choosers because at the end of the day, it just, again, it's just lost me like two thirds of the way through this. Nash, I don't want to speak for you. So I'll ask, did any of your issues with this come from just like how on the nose the commentary was? Because that's kind of where I butted heads with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I had thought about it in kind of that perspective, but sure. yes, I think I could probably, yes um it's not subtle in any way right. Right. and that's and like and i think and i think that's what you're talking about I, or this is what i would take from what you said i think that leans into what you're saying where it's it's camp like i think that there's some element of camp in it which i think mm -hmm. is the fact that it isn't subtle in a lot of those um and a lot of the things that it's trying to say but then like i think you know i think we're all kind of saying similar things where it's just I'm, I was on board, honestly, for even if it's just kind of beating you over the head with a conversation, it's still an interesting conversation about two people being in a relationship. One of them gets promoted. The other one thought they were going to get promoted. It's an interesting dichotomy. 
there's all there's there's a lot of interesting sort of stories you can tell there. There's a lot of ways you can tell those stories, and this is a way. And then it sharp it kind of sharp left turns, and it just dives into a different pool altogether. Um, so I'm going to yeah, make the executive no. decision and say we're going to do a couple minutes on the at the end because I want to hear yeah. exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah. I agree that it has a really good setup. I thought the setup was potentially great and it was good enough that it had me on board for the rest of it even as it kind of dives into that opposite pool like you're saying um and like we've all said the performances are good enough that i was in there no matter what can i quickly just say i don't really like eddie marsan's performance like i think the lead two are fine but eddie marsan is doing something i don't really like he's maybe my least favorite performance in the movie (laughs) he's doing a wacky accent i can tell you that Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just needed to say, we were talking about performance. So. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, unless, Mike, you had like one or two last brief thoughts before we like cap off our conversation in a little bit. I feel like the first third of this should have been called passive aggressive arguments, the movie, because yeah. anyone who's been in any type of relationship can relate that occasionally you get into these arguments and you're just rolling your eyes because like, yeah, I've been there before. And then it just it it just continues to escalate. So let's put a cap on that for now and move on to Five Nights at Freddy's. So, like I said, by the way, all right, you're not safe from spoilers. We're going to spoil this later on. Five Nights at Freddy's. A troubled security guard begins working at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. During his first night on the job, he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through. Pretty soon, he will unveil what actually happened at Freddy's. Before we get into our ratings, I want to ask you guys if you have any experience whatsoever with this franchise, because literally the only thing for me is that, like, I know that it's popular from being fairly plugged into, you know, pop culture stuff and from going into stores like Hot Topic here and there and just seeing the robots for sale in one some capacity. But that's my only relationship to it. Do, do you guys have any experience with it? Nope. Never played the game or any of the games for that matter. Hmm. Playing the game, no, but I was raised, I mean, like, I feel like Markiplier really popped off at the right time for me in early college. And so there were definitely like, and Markiplier popped off largely because of his Five Nights at Freddy's playthroughs. So I watched them there. And so I have like a decent amount of understanding about the lore Mm -hmm. because of him. Um, But that's like a comedic commentary way but i never played it sure all right so what did you guys think of the movie then with your limited to non-existent experience i'll go first um yeah go for it because i actually saw this twice so i saw it the first uh and the reason why is because of a conversation i had with shane about Mm. this uh don't don't give me that look because i saw it twice um (laughs) because this is this is one where i saw it on peacock at first which I thought was a bit of a curious choice that they released it day and date because nobody else is doing that right now. So I don't understand why they did that. And when I saw it at home, it was, I didn't like it, but then I saw it in theaters and the experience that I had in the theaters was just way different because everybody was getting into it and it elevated it to the low side of it was just okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so not not by much, but I had a good enough time in the theater to where 
I would probably go see a sequel, but the theater experience definitely helped for this one, as opposed yeah, to making a face again. As as sorry, opposed, sorry, to, I need to poker face, brother. That's okay. That's okay. Judge me. That's fine. I I'm not I totally, judging you whatsoever. I <laughs> it's it's okay. I I don't mind. So, but yeah, I enjoyed it a little bit more in a crowd versus watching it at, on Peacock at home. So since you said that, I'll go next and say this is the other movie that I was talking about when we were talking about Taylor Swift. Uh, I heard that this had like rowdy crowds and there were a lot of people saying that theirs were annoying online. So I have Peacock right now and I said, you know what, I'm just going to watch this at home. I don't really care enough or know enough about it to really try to get the experience or have it hampered, you know, made worse by people who do care and be the one person there who like doesn't. Um I'm just ambivalent about it. Like I'm, I don't have any negative feeling towards it. Just, you know, nothing. All that said, I watched it at home and thought, yeah, I, I didn't like it. But like, it's not like a the type of I didn't like it where it's like this is terrible. I can't believe it was made or, uh, I had a bad time watching it. I just at the end, I'm just like this wasn't a good movie. So much stuff didn't make sense. Um, yeah, I I just didn't like it. Nash, what did you think of this? You can use your words now instead of just your face. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't like it either. And I was and I and I thought about and I thought about making it a like a like a low side of didn't like it, like close yeah. to hate it. But I was like, no, I didn't hate it. I just it it let me down because I had a little bit of I had a little bit of baggage going into it. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of hope, which I probably shouldn't have had any hope. But I like Josh Hutcherson. I like Matthew Lillard. Um, and I, I felt like there was a lot of, there's a lot of potential to do different things with, like you could, you could have played it kind of more straight. You could have kind of played into like some more silly elements. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and it just really let me down. Um, it didn't, and I think for the for the titular reason of it did not feel like a Five Nights at Freddy's movie almost um, like the elements of Five of Freddy's feels almost <laughs> tertiary at times to this the story that they're trying to tell, which is so bemusing to me. I just I am absolutely lost. And then on top of that, I just like the actual quality of the movie was not very good. Like you just objectively, that, right? Like, it's just like, even if you like take apart my kind of knowing a little bit of about what it could have been, it just was made poorly. It was written poorly in my opinion. From your knowledge of this, do, does anything Josh Hutcherson wise exist in the lore of it? Cause I know people keep using the word lore about five, five nights at Freddy's like, is there anything about that or is it just like the ghost kids and the animatronics or what? From my understanding of early, early game. No, I okay. think that was all that the, that was manufactured. Now I don't like later game stuff. I have, I don't know there things could have been added, but when I was, when I was watching somebody else play it, right. keep that in mind, um, it was, no, it's, it's a, fairly simple game and a lot of the elements of the game aren't in the movie because it has a high audience score and i know rotten tomatoes isn't something to pay attention to but i've seen enough posts online that are like here's all these other movies that were panned by critics 
that so that means that Five Nights at Freddy's is actually great. It's the impression I've gotten is that the fans like it, but I don't know why based on what you're saying. I don't know if this is the right group to have this discussion since none of us really know all too much about the the lore and everything. So I'm not going to push you about it if you really don't know. But I was just this is just something again that's amusing me. That's strange too because. I, I didn't get the rowdy theater environment like um, because I like I, I was able to see it in a theater, which I wanted to, which I wanted to because I was like, oh, my my like worst case scenario is I can watch this at home on Peacock. But it's just like I feel like for the type of movie this is, I kind of want to experience this with a group of people, specifically mm-hmm. like a younger audience. And, there, and the, the people I saw it with, there was probably like 35, 40 people in there and the majority of them were families. So there was somebody under the age of like 12 within the group. And when I was leaving, like a lot of the younger people were like, they were bored Mm. or they weren't scared at all. And the the game is pretty frightening sometimes. Like it's kind of funny frightening, but it's frightening at times. And it's just like, they're like a lot of those elements aren't there. And so I was like, when you're, so that was what was strange to me to hear what you were hearing. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize until, today that the audience score was that high because everything I had heard from coming out of my theater and then from friends who played the games was it was a pretty big letdown they wanted more gotcha. Freddy stuff right uh Mike we Nash and I have been talking a lot so I want to I'm wondering what you thought of it uh more generally like what what did Shane say that made you decide to go check it out again like what what changed your mind to go up that little low tick well this came about because we were just talking about how i didn't really like it and he just said that he just gave me some of the reasons why he he enjoyed it he just he had a lot of fun with it and he said part of it was he was at a press screening so obviously Mm the rowdy crowd there isn't going to factor in as right, much, right. but I don't know, just give it, he just, I like talking to Shane about movies. So just anytime that I just get to hear a different perspective about it, I'll give, I'll give anything another shot. And yeah. I went to go see it again and it wasn't a huge crowd, but it was, it did skew to a younger audience. And we had some kids that did get kind of freaked out, but it it wasn't so over the top that it was like we, we weren't going to hear some a kid crying and being carried out of the theater or anything right. like that and i i think the thing that just i get i got what it was trying to do i think they were the this movie is torn between trying to be trying to be a fun campy scary movie and just trying to kind of pay homage to the video game and i don't think it accomplished either very well and i it's it's also a tale of two movies because you've got this weird family thing with josh hutcherson's character and then you have all the stuff at freddy's and i wish there was more stuff at freddy's versus the stuff that we got from josh hutcherson and 100 and I think also for the most part, most of the performances, everyone feels like they're phoning it in, except for Matthew. I, it just, I'm I'm fine with that generally, and it, like the the cop character as well, the one that you know ta- befriends Josh Hutcherson's character, Vanessa. 
I I just didn't understand her at all. And that's I I didn't I didn't like her performance. I didn't like her character. Why is she like at, throughout the course of the movie I was like, why are you only checking on this this one place? You're a cop. Don't you have other places and other crimes to investigate? And then once you find out, I was like, oh, well, I saw that coming from 10 million miles right. away. Don't that make her a, a cop. Just don't <laughs> like make it any make her anything else. But like if when you make her a cop, it's just it's bizarre of like, why are you here all the time? Mm-hmm. You're a police officer. <laughs> right. You don't know anything else about the town. Is there no other crime? Is, is she bored? Is she bad at her job? But that's my main problem, Mike, what you're bringing up is that it's confused tonally because it's not like actually scary and it's not campy scary. And the drama doesn't work because you think that Josh Hutcherson's sister is his daughter for a little bit until there's a convenient line of dialogue that clarifies that. And then you're like, okay, so he's 30 and he has a eight year old daughter or sister. See, I'm still confused. And his brother died when they were both kids. So how when did the parents die and go crazy and still have another kid? What is going on there? And as for the the Vanessa character, the police officer, that all sort of felt like the movie doesn't really care about building characters as much as it does about building lore. Um, and I, again, that's the word I've heard a million times so far talking about Five Nights at Freddy's is the lore, the lore, the lore. So it felt like it's all just setting up this information about the world and the characters are exposition and information and lore vehicles instead of characters in and of themselves. Um, Josh Hutcherson himself is an attempt to make not all the characters be that, but I don't think that's super well uh, executed. So I don't know. It's... I was thinking with his whole dream thing, I was like, oh, this is just Inception. But then I read Frank's review on the site and he called it Minority Report. And I said, oh, exactly. That's perfect. It's just like the Minority Report dream stuff that Tom Cruise does randomly thrown into this movie that's about animatronic animals at a knockoff Chuck E. Cheese. So just overall, I have no idea how any of this is all supposed to fit together and the tone is just never consistent throughout. And last of all, the reveal is as obvious as soon as you are introduced to the answer early in the movie. Um, meaning the person who, or people who are behind it all. That's all I'll say, but as soon as you meet this or these characters, it's as obvious as it comes. And this isn't, I've said it on this podcast before, I don't try to figure out mystery movies, but I was just like, Oh, that that's how it's gonna wrap up. And it did. Mm-hmm. It was pretty obvious. And yeah. It's but this is gonna make a ton of movie because I heard the budget was only like 25 million to make this. Mm. It showed, unfortunately. <laughs> um I I did a lot of I, the lighting I, was rough. I, I will give it credit. I did find the animatronics to look okay to good. So I will give it a little bit of credit for that but that's i was wondering why they didn't go practical though yeah i guess they do too much to make it go practical but i thought it was way too obviously cgi it's weird it's uh, another one by blumhouse this 
uh, this month. That's two that right, right. Like, from an overall quality standpoint, like it's not good. And just kind of wondering what's up. And these are these are both existing properties as well. So, well, The Exorcist is a franchise. Not this is it's not like it was based on a book that somehow got made. But yeah, let's move on to a movie that I think will have a drastically different reaction to, and that's Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Um, I will say that earlier this year, I decided that I'm not scared of coming across as basic. And I just said, Martin Scorsese is my favorite director. Um, so I have to put that out there. Uh, that being said, Kills of the Flower Moon, high side of liked it as much as I wanted to love it. I'm still in high side of liked it. Uh, Nash, what did you think of this? Uh, I think I, I think I read your review where you said that exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. If people follow me on Letterbox and listen to this, you'll notice a lot of repetition. <laughs> uh, I like just. I solidly loved it. Like it. It is at the top of my list of the 2023 movies already. Robert, I'm right where you're at. I am in high side of liked it. Couldn't quite get to loved it. It's for a particular reason. It's it's just too long. There's just a lot going on in this. And I feel like if they would have trimmed a little bit of time out of this, I think this could have been an all-time great movie, but I just, I couldn't get there because it was so long. So I guess we can get into this right off the bat, because even though I'm only in, only, quote unquote, oh, high side of Only like on it. the high side of like <laughs> Yeah. Uh, How dare you? This, like... is the wor- this is the worst movie of the year for you, Robert, clearly. Right. Just because it seems like loved it is kind of the default in general for people. Um, I didn't have a problem with the length because I thought there was a lot that had to happen and none of it felt superfluous to me. Um, I'll get into what I bumped on later, but it didn't have to do with the length. So I'm curious, like what you thought could have been left out, if that's your main big negative. that That's kind of where I'm struggling a little bit because... I, I I just felt the length. I think some of the stuff in the beginning could have been cut out. Um, but I'm struggling to find like if there's a particular scene where things could be cut out. I think it's probably one of those situations where it's just little things here and there. It's like shavings make a pile situation where like I one thing that I can think of is during um during the wedding when um Ernest and Molly get married. There is a dance sequence of just one of the characters. It just went on entirely too long. Like, again, I'm just being ticky tack here at, at that point. But if you just cut, if you just cut down little things like that all throughout the course of the the movie, I think it could have been trimmed down just a little bit. But the, like from a story standpoint, I can't. I'm struggling to find where I could find like an element of the story that could be cut to like drastically lengthen this because all of it is story relevant. Let me ask you this, both of you real quick. Uh, do either of you have any experience with the book because it's based on a nonfiction book? No. No. I I don't know how to say it, but I listened to the entire audiobook. So I didn't read it, but I listened to the audiobook uh, in advance of this movie. And they even leave out like an entire back section of 
the book because the, the book is about the Osage murders, of course, but it's also kind of about the formation of the FBI and um, the FBI is present in this movie, but it goes a lot deeper into that. And uh, what's his name? J. Edgar Hoover is a, is a more of a presence in the book. So it's funny to hear people say that it could be length or cut down in length when it already so cuts it, down what's in the book. Yeah. So much of it wasn't in because, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because J. Edgar Hoover is like nowhere to be found in this, just a passing. They say just, his name once. Yeah. That's, that's about it. And I find it interesting because you could kind of feel that evolution of the FBI in this because they call it the Bureau of Investigation. And when I originally read a premise of this and it said BOI, I was like, what is that? And then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's Bureau of Investigation. That makes sense. Um, so I, I guess I'm just kind of grasping at straws because everything else pretty much I do generally really like about this. I thought this was stunning from a cinematography standpoint, you know, just Oklahoma and just wherever they filmed is, is really beautiful. So I really enjoyed that. And just the, the moral conundrums that come up in any Scorsese movie, but just this in particular, just really, really got me well, because Leonardo DiCaprio's character is just in a really tough position in this. And ultimately he, the choices that he makes it's hard to feel any sympathy for for him, but you can tell throughout the course of this that he really does love his wife. And just, it kind of just makes it even more heartbreaking with just some of the things that, some of the things that just happen throughout the course of it. But I, I really bought into this and I really liked, like the standout for me in this is Molly as a character and as from a performance a perspective as well for uh the performer in that who whose name is escaping me lily gladstone uh for for her to go toe-to-toe with both dicaprio and de niro and to i get it some of it is based on writing but her performance was was really great i can see her not not full scale winning the oscar but i she's definitely going to be a contender uh for for awards uh coming up later this year yeah, so there are a few things I want to get into with that. But first, I do want to give Nash a chance to speak because you were the highest on it out of all yeah. of us. So speak on that a little bit. Um. Yeah, okay. Uh, first of all, I have, as I went through a weird evolution in a re- kind of a really short period of time taught where I was kind of, I was with kind of the movement of, ah, make movies 90 minutes again. Like I 100% was like on that board. And then I think the past couple of years, I transitioned back to this. Movies can be long. Scorsese has made long movies for his entire career. Have they been three and a half hours long? Not all of them, but I wanted to just touch on it real quick that I also felt the length. You don't, I think, but I think that that's honestly for me, that was that was a pro for the movie like it allowed you to sit in it for so much longer and experience it which is i think the intention from scorsese and then it's coming out thelma schoonmaker schoonmaker um with like mm-hmm. the movie theaters trying to add intermissions and everything um yeah. so i so it's like yes it's a long movie and i felt that it was a long movie and everybody around me in the theater felt it was a long movie but it didn't bother me for that reason um and it's also i think a testament to 
it's hard to think of think of things to cut out from the movie because of the type of movie that it is. It's like a it's like a intentional emotional drama where each each scene feels like it's bringing something else to the table. Now, right, the reason why I love this build movie on each so, other. Yeah. Um, the reason why I love this movie, it's it's kind of long winded, and I'll try to. I I literally practiced it beforehand because I didn't want to go. I didn't want to ramble. But I'm happy to hear what you have to say. No it feels like it feels like we are so lucky. I I was sitting there and I was like, we are so lucky to live in a time where Martin Scorsese is still making movies and still making movies at a quality that is undeniably so good even if you guys are both like high side of liked it like it's undeniably right. such a well well-made movie and it also i feel like he has poured his entire 70 plus years of living on this planet and 50 plus years of making movies and what he has learned and the tricks and how he has grown and he's he pours that into each movie that he makes and i i feel like i could I could that was radiating off the screen. Um you like you mentioned, I, I knew I knew that there was a large part of the book that was taken out. And mm -hmm. the fact that he chose to center it around the type the uh, around the Osage, but even specifically around Ernest and like the lifestyle that he's that or the the role that he had in in King. Um I thought was a really powerful decision. I thought it was a, I thought it was a correct decision. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't feel like Martin Scorsese could have made this movie 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. It's like he keeps making movies that are like that build to the next movie that he's going to make. And this feels, I'm not saying this is his magnum opus. This isn't my favorite Martin Scorsese movie, but this right. just feels like, he has he's in a different gear like he's tapping into something that he is not only has he tapped into before but it's also new and it's fresh it doesn't feel like tired scorsese it doesn't feel like scorsese kind of winding down at the end of his career he's still crushing it and hitting it out of the park um it's emotionally devastating Every performance is a standout performance. Like, yes, Lily Gladstone is incredible. I want to give her all the flowers in the world. But Robert De Niro turns in turns in his best performance in 20 years mm -hmm. plus. I don't know where you yeah. might fall on that. Leo mm -hmm. is arguably giving my favorite performance of his career. Um, the supporting cast is incredible. There's a couple like slimy dudes, one of the th that are fantastic. I think like uh, the actor who plays Blackie, I don't remember what his name is. He was incredible. Some great faces uh, for these kinds of characters. Yeah, it's just it. It felt like a it felt like a real world that was so lived in. And I'm 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 gonna steal this from a friend of mine, but he put it really succinct, succinctly, where it's like this is the type of story that you can hear about, you can read about, you hear hear about it in school, and you study it, but it feels so different than even watching like a documentary of like watching these people watching these people that actually existed make these decisions and the humanity behind the decisions that they're making that are that lead to these super cruel and awful 
consequences um, for their for their actions and the eradication or in the the pain that we've that they inflicted on the Osage people. It it was just it was just it felt greater than even something like a than like a documentary could tap into for me anyways. Um, I know I'm, it's kind I'm kind of moving all over the place. I just it it blew me away. Like I was expecting to like it. And I loved it more than I it was expecting. Um, and then, yeah. Anyways, I'll let Robert talk now because. <laughs> no, I obviously agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, especially the stuff about Scorsese's career kind of building to this. Uh, kind of like we were saying, building one, like the scenes build one off of another to this great crescendo. Honestly, a quiet, devastating crescendo. Uh, it's not like a big, loud one, but it's devastating nonetheless but especially in the last few years the utter contempt with which he treats jordan belfort i guess that's 10 years so maybe more than a few but he treats jordan belfort with that contempt where he might have shown henry hill to be a little bit fun and having that you know desirous lifestyle uh and you go from that to silence which is just one of the craziest back-to-backs i've ever seen um up there with like Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, silence where it's literally silent for a lot of it, and so uh, introspective and so painful physically and emotionally, uh, leading to The Irishman, which comments on a lot of the movies that Scorsese himself made in the past, but he takes it a step further than he ever had to show the actual real consequences, and not just Henry Hill going to jail, but it's just like. He went to jail, he got out, and his entire soul is gone because of it. Again, then just leading to Killers of the Flower Moon, where if anything is about like the depravity and the wickedness and the shamefulness of men, white men in America, this is, like, like you said, maybe not as magnum opus, maybe it has something else coming, but this certainly feels like it in a way. It's a culmination, if, if nothing else. Um Ernest Burkhart is just a sniveling, bumbling, useless fool. But he's still used, I guess useless is the wrong word, but he's still used to carry out these awful monstrosities one by one with such an apathetic demeanor where he's just like casually talking to these people and be like, hey, you want to do Rita and her husband? And it's just like, I'll, I'll throw in my road sturge. The way that he apathetically talks about like, yeah, Mikey Black, it's because it's darkly funny. It, it is the way that he delivers it. Um, especially like the front is the front, the back is the back. Like there's some of that Scorsese flair, but it, he doesn't portray any of this as fun. He doesn't portray, even though this is what I wanted to reply to earlier, Mike, when you said uh, Ernest loves his wife. I think he thinks he loves his wife, but uh, I don't know if you can call what he does throughout the entire movie and his entire real life like this is a real dude like you can't call that love and then the fact that king hale was orchestrating all of this that's just even more terrifying honestly there's the way again i'm going to steal from my own letterbox review uh but he's unrelentingly evil behind kind eyes you know like nash i completely agree with you for this is his best performance and who knows how long um 
it's amazing to see that De Niro, after doing a bunch of paycheck movies to, I guess, pay for divorces or whatever, can still come out and and make movies like this and give performances like this. Because when you see Robert De Niro, you're like, oh, this is Robert De Niro. You see his mannerisms, you see his facial expressions. This is almost nothing like that, no matter how goofy and he looks in those goggles. I love that. Uh, that's a quick side note. All that leads to the closing scene which I don't really want to give it away specifically, but, or actually the second to last scene, because there's one last shot before this, or after this, but this closing scene where Scorsese is directly reckoning with his role in making and telling stories like this. And you expect when a movie is based on true stories to just have like the movie ends and then you got title cards x and y happened to the people that you just saw here's a picture of them here's a video of them maybe but no the way that he chooses to do it it's devastating for the osage and for america and just for what scorsese feels about humanity in general but also for the way that he looks back at his own career um and his role in maybe perpetuating a lot of stuff that he seems to be railing against in this very movie. So again, it's why Ernest and Bill Hale aren't shown to be cool guys. Like it's showing them, it's showing that he's, these guys are evil and they're idiots, but look at the control and the power that they can exercise over these people. Yeah. It's just a scathing indictment. I know that's a very rote statement, but like it's a scathing indictment. It is what it is. It's a, culmination of everything that he's been saying and he almost has learned from what he said in the past and not wanted to show it in any sort of flattering light and that's what makes it even more again devastating so there's my soapbox yeah i i think the i think the one performance that hasn't been mentioned yet that i thought was was good just maybe didn't get enough of it because he comes in like two-thirds of the way through the movie is jesse plimmons um, yeah. he he did a really good job as well. I really enjoyed the investigation piece of this, um, which is saying a lot because I I really enjoyed a lot of the lead up to to it as well. Um, and just any any opportunity uh, to to get more representation for indigenous people, I'm I'm all for that. I've actually never I've never heard of this story. So I like I've never heard of this event. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Watchmen when I first hear about the, you know, these Tulsa race riots and just kind of blown away. It's like, why, why isn't this? Why didn't I learn about this in history? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. And those are exactly in the movie too. Yeah. And it's, and I, I completely agree with you about the ending as well. The ending just gutted me. It was, it was so beautifully done. Uh, just very interesting choice um but i'm glad that we got that as opposed to what you said the usual thing that you get with based on a true story it's like blah 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 did this after the events of this it's just such a cool way uh to do that and i do love i do love that final shot uh, of yeah. the movie it's yeah. it's so beautiful that final shot feels resilient i think because even after everything that we've just seen for three and a half hours, man, I don't want to spoil it again for people who haven't seen it, but the image and the angle of the camera and the movement of the camera is just beautiful and resilient and highlights 
this culture in an amazing way because he's he's saying that even though this movie and this story is kind of just a microcosm for the entire story of white people coming to america and all but eradicating its native peoples the all but eradicating part is a little inaccurate because of like i said that resilience of the final shot um and i will say my one negative which keeps me in the very low score of high side i've liked it is that i didn't love the investigation because i thought that takes away too much from the osage i thought the first what two and a half hours do a great job of centering them and making us feel their pain as all the murders are happening um but as once the investigation comes around it just kind of feels like a straightforward investigation and i and apart from the last scene with molly and ernest and those last couple scenes that we mentioned now that almost feels like a scramble to get back to what the heart of the movie is and i think those last few scenes are all great but it still does feel like a scramble to me um all that to say, that's my one negative, but it does leave me feeling a little, just the tiniest bit cold coming out of it when I want it. Um, cold in the wrong way, because this is a story of cold-hearted people. But I think, it, like I said, with the resilience of the final shot, it wanted me to feel a little bit different. Like the investigation is indicative of just how the just justice system does treat people in, like in minority situations as well. I think that's kind of... That's fair. Yeah. That's kind of why I I in, enjoy it. it. sounds so wrong to say that you enjoy it, but why it works for you. Yeah, why why it worked for me. I think one thing that didn't work, um I, I there's there's only one performance that I think was just a little too over the top, and that's Brendan Fraser's. I was gonna no. ask for, for <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. Go ahead, um, go for it. But that's that's it. It's just these just he's going for something it's just it goes just a tad bit too far for me i think it's just that first introductory scene in the courtroom is just that's just too much and then he dials it down a, a lot after that but he's also not in it enough to for me to say that this really right. ruined anything um but seeing him and john lithgow go you know just go at each other was it was, it was a little funny, but at the same time, also, it just goes to show how over the top they they had to be with their performance. Nash, what did you think of Fraser? Because I did want to bring him up as one of our last points. I I uh, I can totally understand it rubbing people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I loved it. He, like Mike said, he think I think he gets a scene in like a half yeah. in a three and a half hour long movie. And he makes he makes it like his own like he he's memorable like he, gets, he definitely he definitely leaves a stamp <laughs> on it for sure um it's it's preposterous like it it is it is very it is a very big swing um but i honestly feel like it play it plays well again with kind of the things that we're talking about where these these men are really arrogant. They're they think that they that that the case is open and shut. There's no way that they're going to be able to indict them. They that it's that 
it's owed to them. So it just makes sense that boom, right away, here's another one. We just get slapped in the face by this huge performance from Brendan Fraser. And it worked for me. It thematically worked for me. And then I also, I just got to give him props because it's like, he, you, you get a few minutes in a Scorsese movie and you, you, you did something and I liked it, but I understand people not liking it. He goes big. And I think the filmmaking also goes big. You're not going to get a performance that out of place in this Scorsese movie that we're saying is this tight and this, you know, wound together by a master by accident. It's not without intention. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's not going to be like he's doing this and Scorsese's like, I didn't like that, but I'm just going to not say anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Because when he stands up, let him act, let him act. Yeah. Right. This guy won an Oscar. I can't say anything um when he when he stands up the film the the camera is low down and it like rises with him and it shows the american flag behind his head and it's just like i object objection and it's just like he's playing to the crowd in the room because what happens after he starts yelling is the crowd starts getting riled up and they start yelling at the judge and they have to take a recess and then his other half scene like you mentioned nash is in this room he's playing it hard he's playing it like over the top because he's got a intimidate this dumb boy as he calls Ernest which I just love the, his delivery you know like he's doing a, a, a the character is doing a performance not just the actor you know because when he's just sitting there he's just sitting there like a normal guy but he riles up the crowd and he intimidates Ernest exactly as he needs to so I just needed to get that out there that Brendan Fraser I think is great in this and does exactly what the character calls for um on a different uh Closing note for me, at least, I want to highlight what I think is the best scene in the movie, and that is when is that that is Lizzie Q's death. Um, Scorsese has always been spiritual in his movies. Normally, it's from Catholic uh, Catholic background because that's what he has. Yes, Catholic. Um, he also did Kundun, which is uh, the Dalai Lama, but looking at native american spirituality and his vision or his portrayal of their vision of the afterlife is just absolutely stunning and beautiful and the way that it's completely silent during that scene um it just blew me away in the middle of a movie that i wasn't expecting to have that um i just need to highlight that that he's this respectful and reverent for other people's spirituality because as he's talked about and obviously put into his films throughout, like you said, 50 years, uh, spirituality is deeply important to him. I agree with you about the Scorsese taking extra care and precaution and just sincerity with the mm-hmm. Native American and uh, indigenous people culture in this. I, I've read some reports that some people are pushing back on that. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that they're voicing what their opinions are because they're obviously very strong about, you know, Native American and culture and just general exploitation. I didn't, I just didn't see that in this. And I, I give Scorsese a lot of credit for just engulfing himself uh, in this. And I thought he did an amazing job with just respect and sensitivity to uh, the Osage tribe. So I will give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I I mimic, I mean, I mimic what you guys are saying too. Like, uh, it's it's just it's a powerful movie, um, and you know, it's a heavy one, and I think that it might not be 
the one that everybody's going to sprint to go rewatch again right away. But um, I think it's I think it's a it's a shoe in for a lot of a lot of awards come whenever those happen. Um, <laughs> and I would too. not I would not be upset if it gets nominated for all of them and if it wins several of them. So um, it's it's a home run for me. I do think that it would be wonderful and amazing and needed for uh, native voices to be lifted up to tell their version of the story going forward. Um, and I think that's also part of what Scorsese's saying with that final scene that I was talking about. So it's almost like we've had enough of people like me telling these stories. Let's let more people like them uh, tell their own stories. So I think this is the best way that he could have told it because of his perspective, kind of to what you were saying, Mike. Um, I, yeah, we just need more from the people who, you know, were affected and uh, those are the voices that should be lifted up going forward. I think that's a good cap. Let's move on. Not to be too glib about it, but it's time for pain hustlers. Liza dreams of a better life for herself and her daughter. Hired to work for a bankrupt pharmaceutical company, she skyrockets with sales and into the high life, putting her in the middle of a federal criminal conspiracy. Mike, what did you think of Pain Hustlers? Low side of liked it. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was just not expecting that. National tear from you. Uh, low side of just okay. I'll just go with didn't like it. So we'll go all over the spectrum, all over the middle of the spectrum. Mike, I'll, I want to start with you. I want to highlight the positives first. What did you like about it? I liked Emily Blunt's performance in this. And I can't tell if it's because I like her character or I like Emily Blunt as a performer. Yeah. It's probably the latter. So I do, I do like that. And... I do there there is something about the ending of this that I did I did respect. I'm not going to say that I like it because I th I think there's a line that Chris Evans says in this that just kind of encapsulates kind of the whole issue that I have with a lot of these movies and TV shows about the opioid epidemic is that or because Emily Blunt makes a very calculated decision about part of the way through this movie. And Chris Evans just straight up calls her out on that and goes to show that just because you're trying to do something good in regards to this situation doesn't change the fact that you yourself had a part in this. So don't you can't go all holier than thou on this, even though you were completely complicit. And also the just the last part as well, um with uh just with the result of the of just what happens, I do I did I do respect that choice as well. I'm kind of leery on movies that are telling the story about the opioid epidemic because they're all over the place and this one has a little bit more of a comedic tone at times about this and this is one that unlike other things like dope sick or uh painkiller or anything like that 
this is one that focuses on the sales versus the actual people. Right. And that's a choice, but this is an interesting perspective as well. It'll be a weird comparison, but I, because it was, they came out so close together, I was thinking about Flower Moon, um, mm -hmm. where it like focuses on the people doing the harm and not as much on the people being harmed. Yeah. Uh, and that that's, that's my big struggle with this one is that they, I get why they made the choice to focus on the sales reps. Um, but you contrast you contrast something. It's very hard not to compare this to painkiller and to dope sick. Um, because it's similar subject, even though this one is a little bit more fictionalized. But it's it's tough because with something like dope sick, you see the results of this a lot more up close and personal. Whereas with this, it's just kind of glossed over and you're just told about it. And mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for me to empathize with the situation when you're just being told that, like, just of the harmful effects of all of this. Right. To me, it seemed like it was going for, like, a Wolf of Wall Street sort of thing, where Emily Blunt is the Jordan Belfort version of it, where she is in some sort of need or she is in some sort of low point and then happens her way into something very lucrative but that comes on the backs of you know people who are struggling even worse than she is mm -hmm. uh so i get that idea and i haven't seen either of the things that you're talking about mike i haven't seen either of those miniseries um so i guess for me my point of reference is more wolf of wall street and big short but it just feels derivative of those two mm -hmm. um and i I don't think Chris Evans is good <laughs> in this movie. He has a pretty rough performance. Some of it, a lot of it, I'm realizing I bump on bad accents in movies and I think his accent is all over the place on top of him just like going for it too hard and I don't think he's the kind of actor who can go for it really. It's It works better when he stays grounded. Uh, even Scott Pilgrim, I'd say, is too far for him. I basically think he's good as Captain America, uh, even though that's not necessarily grounded in a realistic way, but the character is grounded or gifted, I think he's also great in. Um, but this, he just feels too over the top and that makes it feel like it's going for that uh, big short Wolf of Wall Street sort of thing. It just, it it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 and I sound like a parrot. The Wolf of Wall Street was the first thing that came to my mind. And then I ended up being so. This movie's just mid. I, I, <laughs> like I, I was literally, I like I was just, I was having like such a bland time with it that I was thinking I was like, yeah, that's the difference between Martin Scorsese and other people, and going David back to it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, where it's like Martin Scorsese takes that movie, and it's a longer movie, but it's a but a bunch of people doing lame things and being lame people and it's still incredibly compelling and i think that the wrong type of people sometimes idolize jordan belfort and idolize that movie but that's clearly yeah. not what he's going for right well alternatively this feels like it's broad strokes trying to do a very similar thing and it's just not nailing it like 
everybody's unlikable and I don't need somebody to be likable in a movie in order for me to like the movie. But right. like, there's gotta be something that, that grabs, that that grabs you and drives you through. And the op- opioid epidemic is an interesting hook, like grab me in. But I think I didn't want to, I didn't want to see these actors say these words, <laughs> do these things. Like I just didn't like, um, Emily Blunt is fine. I think she's one of our premier actresses working. And so, yes, she's very watchable and very good. I agree with you. Chris Evans is, I think, not very good. Uh, Andy Garcia, I don't think is very good. Um, He's doing... He just has a weird character, too. Yeah. Like, Catherine O'Hara is, like, they're just, like, all kind of operating, it feels like, at, like, slightly different speeds. Emily Blunt and Chris Evans, I don't feel like, have a ton of chemistry together on screen. Um, well, to be fair, I don't think Chris Evans feel like he has much chemistry with anybody on screen, but I think that's because that's a, what you're saying. I like Chris Evans. I'm a, I, yeah, I just watched uh, Snowpiercer recently and I'm like, he's really that's good. That's another in that. good one. Yeah. But you're, I just, he's going for a little bit of bombast and it just didn't, it didn't land. Um, I didn't like the ending. I like, I'm, I'm happy about certain, <laughs> certain things that happen at the ending, but then it, kind of feels like it ends on a little bit of a there's a little bit of wistfulness but then there's also a little bit of thumbs up and it made me it just made like i don't know it 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 there those people impacted so many people's lives negatively that it made me like if this i don't i don't know if i jive with this 100 percent. yeah it just there's aspects of it i i did laugh certain times like i think brian darcy james who plays the sleazy uh, first pharmacy or the first right. doctor. I like him. Like I like when he pops up at things, but I don't know. I'm a, oh I'm boy, a do t- I have a movie for you later, by the way. I feel like Brian Darcy James popping up in things. Anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's why I said I respect the ending because we're we're looking for some comeuppance. And mm-hmm. it just shows how convoluted and messy that gets because the these are sales reps they are fourth fifth degree separation from from that whole situation and as somebody who's been in sales it's like i i spend a better part of my career in sales and it's it's tough because you there is a certain level of responsibility that you have to take for your product and you just it it just goes so over the top with everybody that just everybody is it just seems like that they just had this glamorous time to try and sell all this product um without any hope of consequence or reprieve or anything like that i've, I've just this and just wall street with just how it's connected um in terms of just the predatory nature of the sales tactics and everything like that it's just it's it's tough to stomach because i've just never been part of that high pressure you know high commission sales environment but um but yeah it's just it it just it's too it's way too over the top and you're right there's no there's no likable characters in this i guess emily blunt's daughter is kind of likable in this but she's just not in it enough for me to just form a full opinion about it and just other than that 
I mean, her and yeah, it, her, her character is just the what moral. the yeah the the dilemma basically. Like that's that's like the role that she plays is just to turn Emily Blunt to the side. Like I don't know. Mm. It it, yeah. it like the ending swung for some big emotional moments, and I just I didn't feel any of them at all. Yeah, yeah I still was trying to figure out like why I didn't really like this at all because it all just felt so bland and nothing. And I think it, I think we've kind of honed in on it a bit that it's just so cartoonish and over the top. And I don't mind if there's, like you said, Nash, I don't mind if there's no likable characters, but this isn't even fun, interesting or informative in any sense outside of that. So like kills of the flower moon again. Apart from the Osage, everyone else is not likable, and the unlikable characters are, are the one that's centered, and I really like that movie. But this one, because that one was made well, this one, I'm wondering, like, how did David Yates be, how was he handed the keys to the last four Harry Potter movies and have them turn out okay? Like, was that a Joe Russo, Anthony Russo situation where David Heyman is the actual creative juice behind that, the producer? Like, what what is going on there? I really, it's just night and day between the last couple of Harry Potters and and this one, even though they're not really comparable. I mean, didn't he do the two Fantastic Beasts as well? That's true. <laughs> like those are also really bad. He did three. He did. He did. Three. Oh yeah, he did all he three. Did, he did all three of them. Yeah. I I just I just I think Harry Potter ruined him. Probably. <laughs> yeah. And like those are good stories at their base. Like he wasn't working with great screenplays apart from or outside of those. Anyway, let's move on to our last movie. Totally killer. When the infamous Sweet 16 killer returns 35 years after his first murder spree to claim another victim, 17-year-old Jamie accidentally travels back in time to 1987, determined to stop the killer before he can start. I'll start real quick and just say, I thought this was okay. It was a lot of fun but a lot of stuff that was really grinding my gears. Um, Nash, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's, this is a, this is a Nash movie. If anybody who knows me, this is a Nash mm-hmm. movie, but this is like a, a high side of okay. Yeah. I'm right smack in the middle of liked it. Or uh, no, I'm sorry. Right smack in the middle of it was okay. This might be what the first one that we got universal agreement on. Um. Yeah, Nash, you said it's a Nash movie. What makes it a Nash movie and why was it only okay by those standards? Uh, okay, well, uh, your boy loves his like high school, <laughs> high school, like coming of age type of movies. Uh, one, two, Ninochka Khan, who I believe only made one movie prior to this, which is Always Be My Maybe, that, that Netflix romantic comedy. Oh, I love that. Which I, I adore. Like I've lot. seen that movie several times. Uh, I think it's, I think that movie, that, that movie is very funny. Um, it's very, it's, it's brisk. There, there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot, there was a lot of fresh takes in that. Um, it also has the best Keanu Reeves performance of all time. So <laughs> I was just, so when I saw this was coming out, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. It's in the vein of these, um, these kind of horror comedies, like freaky in the, in the death in the happy death day movies, that and I really liked both uh, all three of those movies. Um, well, not really liked, but ranging more positive. So I was like, "This sure. is 
All the ingredients are there. Oh, also, I should shout out Sasha Paul Raver. I've actually met her. She's incredibly kind. She's one of the writers. Um, oh, cool. So it's just like I was, I was not not like excited for it, but I also like Kiernan Shipka. Um, yeah. I saw her in something recently, and I and I was really like pumped. Um, the reason why it's just okay because where those movies that I've mentioned that this is in the vein of they're all dabbling in some sort of like oh the freaky friday thing or the like a time traveling or a, a or a groundhog day thing like they they take right. one of those tried and true clichés and they play with it in a really fun way this doesn't play with it in a super fun way it feels kind of or to me it feels kind of it feels ex- extraordinarily basic um it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be. It's it doesn't have like the bite of the comedy that I was expecting. Um, and it, like it, it also it feels really glossy in a way that these movies can sometimes feel glossy. But it's just like, I don't know. It like, This is a movie that I will forget about in a month having ever seen. And then I will. And then in a, in a few more months, I'll be like, oh, I really like Kieran and Shipka and I will start the movie. And I'll be like, oh, I've seen this before. Um, so it's not bad. Oh, it's also produced by Jason Blum. So there we go uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay. Like I didn't. Oh, oh, I did want to say the casting of Julie Bowen and Olivia Holt as the m- mother and then the past version, I thought was inspired because they really look similar. Other than that, it's fine. That's really all my thoughts on it, too. Yeah, I watched this one over the course of last night and this morning because I was getting sleepy and I wanted to be awake to watch it. Uh, so maybe that did affect my perception of it, but I did feel like it was very light uh, in a good way, in a bad way. Light in that it's just like easy to get through. It's fun and breezy, but also there's not much to it. I do appreciate that it subverts the specifically what they do in happy death day too with like the reconnecting with a mother uh and the time travel thing it kind of subverts that and it's kind of fun and i appreciate again the movie going in a different direction and not doing that same old thing um even though i do like movies when they do that that was my one main positive of the flash that 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 scene moved me when he sees his mother again (laughs) it's like for some reason those scenes just get me and i was ready for that again but it it subverts it um on top of that what really bugged me, though, like I said, it's something some things grind my gears, and that's just the endless references to Back to the Future, and just like this happens a lot in time travel movies where the character says like, "Oh, you know, LeBron James." Oh, wait, LeBron James doesn't exist yet, and but it seems like so many of the jokes are that that and like there's a character called Fat Trish, and she just can't stop talking about how that's problematic they have to point out that everything in the eighties was problematic by modern uh, standards. And sure, that's true, but just saying it and not really doing anything more with it doesn't do anything. It doesn't add anything to the conversation other than just saying that's problematic. That's asking for, you know, brownie points there and it doesn't really work for me. So that was really frustrating me. All those references to back to the future and other movies and just the repeated you know you can't say that uh just really got me upset <laughs> to be honest uh but the rest of it is like you said it's just kind of fun and it just is there 
So I really don't have a lot to say about this movie. Um, I could recommend it to just about anyone if they're looking for something light, especially for something spooky um, these last couple of days of October. But other than that, it's, like you said, pretty forgettable. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. Unfortunately, I did, uh, you know, I think you both have mentioned most of the things that I was going to say. I really like Kiernan Shipka in this. I thought she was great. I, the, the Back to the Future stuff, it just kind of the whole, everything with the 80s, just, it didn't work for me either. And I'm, I'm going to put my parent cap on because it just reminds me of an episode of Bluey when the dad is telling a story about how, you know, something that he did when he was a kid and just they kept talking about all the things that are different between the eighties and today. And when they came a point where Bluey and her sister asking him about like, why did you do this? He kept saying it was the eighties, man. That's, that's it. And I just felt like every time there was a situation uh, like that in this, it could have just had, it was the eighties man and just left it at, left it at that. Sure. Um, I'm very torn on the reveal of the killer in this because it's kind of an interesting situation. It's very hard to talk around it, but Mm -hmm. there was a part of it that I was on board with. And then the other part of it, not so much. It's really hard to talk about. Okay. Talk talk (laughs) about that. I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. Also like the, I, I did like the whole, the, I, I am enjoying how horror is trying to take some of these, you know, beloved things in movies, kind of like what Nash was saying, you know, with, you know, Happy Death Day and Freaky. And now we have this, you know, kind of just taking taking tropes and just putting a horror spin on this. Um, I'm curious to see what else is going to come about now um, with this. And I, I did also... Um, I did also appreciate that the killings were not like over the top gory. Um they were they were brutal though. So I saw someone describe it as soft R, which is just like <laughs> allowing the characters to swear and that was the only real R-rated thing. Yeah. So um yeah, that's that's about it. Also the the shout out uh, cuz Nash also took shout out the Sasha Pearl Raver um I, I've only seen her on things like screen junkies uh, and things like that when screen junkies was the thing back in the day so um yeah glad glad to see that she uh she uh, she was a writer on this that's awesome cool let's move right along and get back to fair play and talk about spoilers for that just briefly again if you don't want to have fair play spoiled I will have the time code in the description uh to skip to the wild cards but we're gonna just spoil fair play real quick nash go for it what do you, what do you got to say the ba- it's just the the bathroom sequence i think um we just you you jump you jump ship and i feel like it turns into a different movie and it's a movie like i am i'm aware that the the trials and tribulations like the like all of those things could could happen to a working woman, I suppose, but it just feels like 
we're heading full steam ahead talking about her career and this weird weird relationship with her coworker and subordinate and then all of a sudden it turns into a movie about assault and her and her grappling with that and i just i don't know i i feel like i'm not explaining it super well because it just feels it feels like a different movie like it just no, feels I, like they, I, they're I totally you mentioned agree. the camp, right? Yeah, I, I totally yeah, agree go with for it, you, Mike. though. I totally agree with you because there were three moments about two-thirds of the way through. There's the so the first I it I gave this like three strikes. And the first one that kind of was like, oh, like I this is really weird with happening was all, when Alden Ehrenreich was pretty much just on his knees, just begging this guy to, you know, just hire me, hire me like oh this is that's i worship at no, your feet yeah, yeah that jumps the shark a little bit there yeah that it's so it started there and then the second part the second thing that kind of also continued this jumping of the sh jumping of the shark was when um when uh the the girl character emily um breaks the bottle over over his head too it's like yeah. oh oh okay this is starting to now escalate that's and a then, different kind of assault too, right? And then the bathroom, the the bathroom scene, just you know, I'm I'm very squeamish about scenes of sexual assault, anyways, and it makes it even more complicated because there's a couple, they're a couple, mm -hmm. and it just it, that scene just made me so uncomfortable for so many reasons because you you have the right to say no in any in any circumstances uh, like that, and just it, it just. I think if you could have left that part out, it still would have been an effective movie. But because of that, I don't want to say it full on ruined it because it didn't, but it it just took it a step too far. And just, it doesn't make it irredeemable, but it's enough for me to change change how I feel about, about the overall premise of the movie. Well, like Nash said, it, it feels like a different movie, right? <laughs> so the beginning... Or like the up up to, you know, getting down on his knees, it almost feels because it's so on the nose with everything. And like, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. It's basically that up to that point. It's just kind of feels campy and almost a little farcical. Uh, and it's, you know, a little silly. But once it gets to actual assault and uh, portrayed that viscerally, you're right. It feels like a different movie. It's a different tone altogether. And when something is feeling a little silly and over the top up to that point, that can come out of nowhere. And like you said, Mike, I don't know, ruin the experience, but paint the whole thing in a different light than it would have been otherwise. Well, then you have you have the end with Emily and the knife even right. as well. It's but like by that point, like, OK, I, I, all right. I, there was a small part of me that thought that she was just going to straight up kill him. And that just would have, that would have just completely ruined it. But even, even just cutting him like that and just that last line, which I, I did, I did kind of get a kick out of in some weird way. But she's just like, now clean up your blood and leave my apartment. Ooh. I think it's an interesting full circle moment because of what happens <laughs> in the bathroom at the beginning. 
That's like, yeah, you, know. you don't see that in movies a lot. No, like, the, you, the you blood that don't. that's in the beginning, her naturally spilled blood, uh, leading to his unnaturally spilled blood. Like, I get the idea behind it, like uh, the feminist idea behind it, but like you said, and like we've been saying, it's feels like a different movie. The ending of the movie that that you're discussing with the knife, um, I didn't. That full circle moment is yes, it's there, and I I guess I have it's valuable, and I respect that. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's summing up. The end of the movie feels like it's summing up the like the ten minutes prior to it, and not the whole mm-hmm. movie that we got. Yeah, and I would have. I think I just would have liked to see the first two thirds how that movie ended, and not this what it what we ended up getting or if you wanted to tell the story that we got at the end of the movie um present that as your primary story i guess i don't know i it just it was a movie that i think i could have really liked and then it i was like no i and i almost feels anti-feminist to me i don't know it just feels it feels weirdly reductive but maybe i'm a i'm also a white dude i don't know (laughs) right the writer director is a woman, right? Yeah. Yes. So that's what's interesting to me because I have seen one or two people say that same thing about it feeling reductive and anti-feminist, and I would just be interested to hear that argument. And when, yeah, because yeah. I don't, I like like you said, I don't know enough to, or I don't have the experience to uh, make that call. It's it's a wild ride, though. So <laughs> yes. That's definitely true. Let's briefly move on to our wild cards as we close. Uh, Mike, what is your wild card? Do you have one? No, my wild card was the Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. Movie, but cool. you, you capped that at, at the, the very top. Very, at How the dare very you, top. Robert? So, I, I ruined this whole thing. I should have asked. I apologize to you and to the listeners and to God. Um, <laughs> Nash, what is your <laughs> what is your wild card? Uh, my wild card is a movie that isn't out fully yet. Uh, maybe I don't know. It's called. Uh, it's the new David Fincher, um, The Killer. Uh, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to hear different people talk about it because I've seen some people on like Letterbox, some Sifop people who have different opinions than I have, and I totally understand their opinions on it. But it to me, it just feels like pure david fincher essence boiled down to a movie i feel like it goes it goes back to fincher roots that we haven't that he hasn't necessarily touched upon in a a minute and it just really excited me i was riveted from moment one and it's not going to be for everybody though it's not is it's not the type of fincher movie that is like all the all the film bros are going to go out and love it Um, oh interesting it, I don't I really don't think it's that type of movie. I think it's it feels well, I, I could talk a lot actually about that. But anyways, I it's going to be divisive, but it, I thought it was very good. And I'm really interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are in the future. Yeah, I was about to ask if like I'm typically a big David Fincher guy. So like, would you expect me to like it based on that? I 
I'd be really interested to hear what your perspective was. Um, cause I don't, I don't know what your expectations are going in in terms of like, even what the movie is about. Um, I've, I've only seen that one first trailer when it doesn't really give anything away. So I'm just, yeah, I'm there for Fincher with Fassbender basically. Yeah. And Fassbender is proving why he is in, an incredible actor. He's so good. Um, it's a different type of movie than I think a lot of people were expecting. Um, I thought, I think it, that's for it in its benefit though and it's a really it's a really simple story on it i think on its surface it's presented in a really straightforward simple way um i think there is a lot of subtext um mm. but it's but like it it feels like a companion piece to fight club like that's oh, interesting in it in it but in a in a way that you might not expect i just i'm trying to in, yeah so anyways sure yeah well, Jeffrey wrote the review up for the site and it should be up by the time this episode's out. So based on that review and what you just said, that's the only thing I've heard about this movie. So I'm definitely intrigued because you've both kind of discussed how it's a bit of a zag. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, for example, I, I read Heath Lynch, his sip pop writer. I read his review and I think he is on a different parallel than me. So mm. take that as a grain of salt too. <laughs> Sure. I typically, like I said, I avoid reviews until I've seen the movie. So oh, okay. I'll go back and read Heath and everyone else once once I do see it. I probably won't be able to see it until it's on Netflix. But uh, and we'll probably talk about it in next month's roundup when it releases wide. So I'm looking forward to that. My wild card, I think, is a Nash movie. Nash, I saw that you have it on your uh, letterbox watch list. It's called She Came to Me, starring Peter Dinklage and Anne Hathaway and Marissa Tomei. The composer who suffers writer's block rediscovers his passion after an adventurous one night stand. Like that makes it seem like it's a nice, sweet little rom-com. I've said a million times, give me any three-star rom-com and I'll love it. Uh, this is not that really? <laughs> in a good way. Oh my goodness. This movie is bonkers. It is off the wall. You would think it'd just be like a straightforward Peter Dinklage has a one night stand. But it should let you know when it changes aspect ratios, like it changes aspect ratios throughout the movie. It's not just a, a straightforward down the middle rom-com. No um, way. Okay. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's on my watch list for sure. I liked it, but it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you have to suspend disbelief. Just go in knowing that you have to suspend so much disbelief, like even more so than just like the typical rom-com meet cute because... Ah, there's so much that happens that I just want to say. Like, oh man! I, okay, I, okay. I'm. I'll, I'll. Maybe I'll try to see it this week. I can't. I just can't wait for you specifically to see like some of these twists and turns. But the thing is, even though it is insanely hokey, uh, it really believes in something. It believes in true love, um, and it doesn't really consider like the movie itself doesn't consider the parts that are hokey like it's not trying to make a commentary on these because it just so earnestly and innocently believes in true love but it's ridiculous it's awesome it's great i think everyone needs to see this movie because you're gonna have a wildly different like if you're in a bad mood i could see you hating this but i was in a good mood and i was just like i really like this um this is brian darcy james this is the movie that i referenced no way. yeah he's in this He's a Civil okay. War reenactor. Um, 
like that's the one that, that's like introduced at the very beginning so that's the one thing that i'm gonna give away that and i'll say that um marissa tome is a tugboat driver who's also a sex addict so um there are two three other three or four other huge things like Anne Hathaway's character oh my gosh just I don't want to say anything about that because that happens later in the movie I'm just telling you this is the, the most five star three and a half star movies that I'm going to see all year uh, those are my fit you yeah you've nailed me those are my favorite types of movies so yeah let's go I'm seeing it this week <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you have to say let's move on to our last quick segment um Mike, what is your favorite movie of the year so far, 2023? Still Oppenheimer. Which Oppenheimer. Nice. I was I I was hoping that Killers of the Flower Moon would challenge it a little bit more, but it Killers of the Flower Moon is still pretty high up on my list. But Oppenheimer still resonated with me a lot. And I still really enjoyed it. So I'm I'm still shocked to to think that Oppenheimer which I wasn't expecting it to be my favorite movie of the year but here we are about most of the way through the year and it's still there so so yeah awesome Nash you uh mentioned what your favorite movie of the year is so far but for Sorry. those who forgot I didn't um I, I I I as soon as I said it earlier I meant to uh, I was going to say Killers of the Flower Moon is is currently two on my list. I meant to say oh, it was it? My, it, it was launched to the top of my uh, year end list. My my favorite movie of the year is a movie I've seen three times now. Um, it's Past Lives. Mm. Uh, it's I, I I was actually telling somebody the other day. It's it feels like my um, th- it's this year's After Sun for me for you. Yeah, um, sure. like I I adore. I adore that movie. Um, it makes me. Uh, it just taps. It taps into human emotion in, in exactly the type of way that I try to look at the world. So, um, mm-hmm. it's my favorite movie of the year. Nice. Well, that's a fun little coincidence because the three movies that are mentioned are actually my top three movies of the year so far. Uh, mine is holding strong still. Asteroid City. I just can't get out of my head. I love that movie so much. I've talked about it every month since. June, I think so. I'm not going to say anything else, but I go Asteroid City, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, three incredible movies, and then Hills of the Flower Moon. So, yeah, nice. great stuff all around. Guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I think we had some great conversations, and I definitely had a lot of fun, um, yeah, discussing these movies. It's interesting talking about movies. I usually talk about TV. I know. So I will, I'll take it. Appreciate the uh, the invite. Yes, this is a blast. Cool. Uh, just a quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com, or if you want to get in contact with us, then you can email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. You can also join me next month as I discuss some of the biggest movies of, what is it, November with Caleb and Sam. Uh, so until then, We've got to get back to the writer's room.